As we come now to the proclamation of God's word this morning, and we are continuing through the Gospel of Matthew in this sermon series called All Hail the King, considering how Christ is our King, and not just our King, but the King of all the earth. And we find ourselves yet still in this section called the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus has sat down on the Mount of Olives uh, outside of Jerusalem to give his final discourse, his final instructions to his disciples. And it's interesting that as he does that, he of course has been unpacking uh, what will happen when the temple is destroyed, but also what will the world be like uh, before he comes again. And so we continue now in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. And he teaches us again through parable. And he says this, he says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise, they took no, um, I'm sorry, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the Other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask now that as it is proclaimed that you would open hearts and minds to see again the exceeding goodness of your grace in the person of Christ our Savior. We ask this in his name. Amen. Nobody likes to wait, uh, especially it seems in our culture today. Uh, there, this is especially true because we live in this, this, this go fast, always on the go, fast paced, modern life. We are an impatient people. And waiting is kind of annoying to us. It slows us down. It keeps us from doing what we do, going where we want to go, being where we want to be. Well, what if you are waiting on God? What if you are waiting on him for a very long time? What we see in the Bible is that happens. It happens frequently. It happened before Christ came, before he came down from heaven to be born as a man. And it is true now as we wait for him to come again. As we wait 
for him to return as our king. Waiting is especially hard, it seems, when you are waiting on God. I mean, we want him to work now, don't we? We want him to answer our problems, to remedy them, to to heal our sicknesses, to, to bring justice in this unjust world. We want him to bring about that final salvation that he has promised from our sin. And we are tired. We are weary. As a Christian, it is easy to get tired of the struggle of that up and down mountaintop and valley, in and out experience of dealing with our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, and the fact that we are called by Christ. Oh, we get so tired. And it seems at times that the heavens are silent. I mean, where is our King? And why does He tarry? Why does He seem to be delayed? Will He ever come? And those are fair questions to ask. In fact, Jesus anticipates those questions even in this Olivet Discourse that we've been seeing through Matthew 24 and 25. As we've been observing, he is answering his disciples' questions about when would this temple be destroyed that he predicted back in the beginning of Matthew 24? What, what would be the event that leads to that? And what then would be the sign of his coming? And he's already explained of what Judea would be like when the temple would fall, when Rome would march her armies through the streets of Jerusalem and would bring to an end the old way of worship so that a new and better way would come. And and that has come. And we live in the already of Christ's kingdom. The kingdom of His grace through the gospel. And since Matthew 24, 16, Jesus has now been explaining when His second advent would be or what it would be like when the final part of that kingdom would come, the what we call the consummation of His kingdom, that not yet part that we are waiting for. And we saw last week it would be unpredictable. We don't know when. It's also unpopular. Many do not want the King to come. But it will bring unparalleled joy when it does. And Jesus has explained that no man nor angel, not even Christ himself in his humanity, knows the day and the hour. And we see then that there is this delay, this pause, this time of waiting between his first coming and his second. Before he came the first time, God's people waited year after year after year, century after century for the Messiah. And then he came, just as God promised. God came in the person of the Son, born in the flesh, born of man, and he lived and he died and he rose again and has now ascended to the right hand of the Father so that he might save his people from their sins. And having now ascended to heaven again as his people, we wait. And we wait for that final fulfillment of the gospel. And just like in the old administration of that covenant of grace, we wonder, when is that day? When when will be the day of his coming? 
when we see our King in glory. Well, the story Jesus tells us in this parable isn't so much about that joyful celebration that will happen when He returns, but it is more about that delay, that waiting. He tells us the parable, the story of some bridesmaids who are waiting for the wedding, just as the church awaits for her wedding with Christ the bridegroom. And so we read in verse 1, he says, The kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Jesus is giving us another wedding story. He, he likes these. We've seen these several times in the Gospel of Matthew even as he compares his kingdom to a wedding. This one though is a little different than those other stories because in the past when he's spoken of his kingdom being like a wedding, he was always speaking of the present, of the already aspect of his kingdom that we enjoy as God's people and know him through Christ. But now he is speaking of a future aspect. He says the kingdom of Heaven will be like these ten virgins. You know, weddings, though, they, they definitely make for good parables. It's something that people all around the world can relate to. And in the world and time, when Jesus walked upon the earth, weddings provided one of the few social events that an entire community could be, get involved with. One of the wedding customs of that time was to uh, have an escort of the bridegroom to his father's house where that wedding would take place. And this is likely the event that Jesus is describing in this parable. It usually would take place at night. Thus, as we see in the story, the need for lamps or torches. And so in verse 2, we're immediately introduced to the bridesmaids or the virgins as they are called in this story. And that simply means they are young women. We don't need to attach any special significance to them or allegorize it in this story. As we'll see, the point isn't so much about these little details, but the situation and character of those involved. And so of these ten bridesmaids, these ten virgins, called to lead the procession of the wedding, uh, five of them are wise and five are named to be foolish. And that's a very similar description that we just saw in the prior parable we considered last week of the faithful servants and the wicked servants. Wisdom speaks of, of having insight and understanding. Wisdom carefully considers a situation and acts with a, a measure of foresight. In other words, wisdom is to be prepared. And foolishness then would be the opposite. It is a lack of understanding that results in a lack of preparedness for a given situation. In fact, we saw this Way back in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus spoke these words. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Foolishness 
was knowing that an event like inclement weather would come, but not preparing your house to withstand it. And that's what we see unfold in this story. Both the wise virgins and the foolish ones, they received the same invitation to the wedding. They knew it was going to be happening soon. Now, they didn't necessarily know the exact time when the bridegroom would come, but they knew it was coming. They had the same information. A wedding was going to happen, and they would need to light the way to the place of the wedding. And so we find them in this same situation, sitting and waiting for the delayed bridegroom to come. The delay must have gone on for some time, for we're told in the story, as Jesus relates it, that they became drowsy and they they fell asleep. And this little detail's not meant to be a rebuke in any way. It's it's simply a statement of fact. Both the wise and the foolish bridesmaids, they, they grew weary of waiting. They were getting tired as the night went on and they drifted off to sleep. Getting tired and weary, falling asleep... To recover from that tiredness, that's normal. We all do that. We all need a nap. It's, it's expected. Everyone needs rest. And that's the point here. And we've already seen in Jesus' Olivet Discourse that this interadventual period, this period of time between his first coming when he was born and his second coming for which we hope and look for, it's marked by normalcy. Normal life, eating, drinking, taking a nap, going to sleep. And while we wait for our king to come, we simply go about our regular lives, our ordinary occupations. We have celebrations and sorrows. We enjoy life and we suffer disappointments. We study, work, play, engage in the normal, ordinary things people do. While we wait for our bridegroom to come, while we wait to see the glory of God unfold and become reality for us. And sometimes in that waiting, we need to rest. We need to sleep, which is just fine. You see, we, we aren't called to create extraordinary things or build extraordinary kingdoms or do extraordinary deeds while we are waiting for the bridegroom to come. But we do the ordinary things He gives us to do, like sleep, for the extraordinary King. And that King, the Bridegroom, will come unexpectedly. As we even observed last week, Christ's coming will be sudden. Without warning, there is no way to predict it. It will just happen. And Jesus touches on that idea yet again in this little parable. As all the virgins are sleeping, they're awoken by a shout. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. He is coming. And the waiting ends just like that in the blink of an eye. In fact, the very last words recorded of Christ in the scriptures speak of this. As Jesus tells us in Revelation 22, surely I am coming soon. And at that coming, 
The earth will resound with the sound of his majesty, and all will awaken to see him for who he is. There will be no mistake. They will know this is the Lord, the King of glory. There will be no mistaking him and no escaping the event of his coming. Which brings us to the very heart of Jesus' parable here in our text this morning. While we're waiting for that moment, what are we to do? What are we to do? We are to prepare ourselves by walking in the wisdom of the gospel. And what is wisdom? Well, Jesus shows us here, wisdom is being prepared for what we know is coming. And the gospel tells us what is coming. And why were the five of the girls foolish and five of them wise in Jesus' story? The five that were wise were prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. And the five that were foolish presumed that they were prepared. And so the difference between them is one of presumption versus preparedness. We see that distinction in verses 3 through 4. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. The bridesmaids, these virgins, they were to light the way for all to see to the, as the wedding procession would make its way to the groom's home. These torches that are spoken of, or these lamps, uh, were actually like torches, what you'd see in, in Indiana Jones movie. They had a, a stick, probably made of wood, a handle of some sort, wrapped in cloth on one end tightly that was then dipped into olive oil or usually olive oil lit on fire so that they could carry it. It was the the flashlight of the day. And the longer the torch burned, the more oil it consumed until it would eventually extinguish itself because the fuel had completely burned out. And a a thoroughly oil-soaked torch or lamp of this sort burned for probably around 15 minutes or so. And it is for that reason, a person that is prepared, a person who is wise, would bring additional oil with them in some sort of flat Uh, flask to add it to the lamp to keep it burning throughout the night especially if you didn't know how long you would need said light and remember while the women women all of them had this invitation to the wedding they had no idea when the bridegroom would come when he would call upon them when they would be needed And so the wise women then, knowing this, prepared ahead of time. And they took an extra flask of oil with them, with their torch. But the foolish women, as we read, they did not. They presumed that, hey, just the lamp will be good enough. That'll get me through the night till he comes. But as the night drags on and they all grow tired, as we've seen, and they fall asleep... Then the bridegroom comes. The cry wakes them. The bridegroom has come. Go out to meet him. And it is in that moment that the presumption of the foolish women really becomes a problem. 
Because their flickering lamps are now beginning to just smolder into but a wisp of smoke. And so the five foolish bridesmaids, they turn to the wise ones and in a last ditch effort to panic, they say, hey, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. We're not going to be able to join in the procession. And that seems kind of reasonable, doesn't it? I mean, the others had extra oil with them. They're asking for help for a real problem. It's time to go to the wedding. They're not ready. But the five wise women who had prepared, they reply to the five foolish and they say, No, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Now you read that and you say, well, boy, that's, are they being kind of harsh? That might be a little unreasonable. Well, it isn't, actually. You see, for one, parables, they're, they're not meant to paint direct pictures of reality. And they will often contain shocking and surprising elements like this that are not intended to teach us a direct ethical principle with every little detail. This parable isn't a lesson so much in ethics. Rather, the contrast between wisdom and foolishness, preparedness and presumption. So if the virgins who had prepared were to give of the extra oil, there wouldn't be enough for everybody. In fact, they would all run out. Nobody would make it. The procession couldn't proceed. Preparedness wasn't something they could give to another so the problem then for these unprepared maidens begins to snowball as they hurry off then to find some oil here late at night. And you can imagine that at this time of night, nobody's open, nobody's selling oil. And so things go from bad to worse because while they are away, the bridegroom arrives at the door. It is now time to leave. And we read in verse 10, while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast. And then the door was shut. So the lack of preparation of the foolish women resulted in missing the bridegroom's very arrival. While the prepared women were able to join in the joyous march to the wedding and enter into that place of celebration, the foolish ones were left out of the entire event. The door was shut and they're left standing on the outside. So then how does this lesson in preparation versus presumption Wisdom versus foolishness. Uh, How does it relate to this kingdom of Christ? Well, here's what God wants us to understand. There is a faith that prepares and there is a faith that pursues. But they both have very different outcomes when it comes to the fulfillment of God's promises. There is a faith that prepares for the coming of the king and there is a faith that simply presumes that it is ready for the king to come, but actually is not. It doesn't have the oil for the lamp. I mean, notice how alike both the wise and the foolish bridesmaids were. Both the wise and the foolish, they they both received an invitation to the wedding. They both, the wise and the foolish, they they took lamps with them and they trimmed their lamps. They prepared them by cutting the wicks. 
Both the wise and the foolish had to wait for the celebration to begin. And both the wise and the foolish grew weary during the waiting and fell asleep. Both the wise and the foolish were wakened together by the cry that the bridegroom was coming. But what is different about them? about the wise and the foolish. Well, some had enough oil and others did not. You see, wisdom takes not just the torch for the journey to the wedding, but it has the oil that is needed to keep it burning the whole way through. That is a faith that prepares, not a faith that presumes. But faith that presumes will take the lamp into its hands, but not the oil it needs in its hearts. A faith that presumes will profess Christ. It will pick up the mantle of religion, but it will lack the substance of true religion, which is to know Jesus and be known by Him through faith alone. You see, a presumed faith will go to church thinking that is good enough. It will do good deeds. It will try to be moral. It will try to love neighbors. But it's missing that inward element, the actual oil that lets it burn, that makes those things, those outward trappings, anything at all of value. One with presumed faith simply assumes that because they've been baptized or they take communion or sit under the preaching of God's word, even biblical gospel clear preaching, that they are now somehow approved in his sight. But they lack the substance of those things that even makes them a means of God's grace. They lack the knowledge of Christ, that true faith wrought by His grace in their hearts actually provides them. It's much like the problem we saw in the old sacrificial system of God's people, Israel in the Old Testament. The the, the worship of God's people in that old administration of His covenant was not unacceptable to God because it was insufficient. In fact, it was His means of grace. It was His means of communicating the promise of redemption through the Messiah who would come and give Himself as that once-for-all sacrifice for His people. It was designed by Him. And it was effectual in leading the people to that promise of His abundant grace if they did it through faith. If they came by grace through faith. But it was not effectual in just the work worked itself. It was the grace of God through faith that made the promise of the gospel effectual in their hearts through that worship. And that is why we read things like in the prophet Isaiah. Or Hosea rather. Hosea 6. Where God says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You see, sacrifice without a love for God manifested by faith in Him is simply empty religion. And empty religion is simply idolatry. It is nothing. 
In Isaiah 1, the Lord pleads again with his people. He says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs and of goats. Again, it wasn't so much the sacrifice or worship being evil itself, but it was that the people were doing it simply in an empty, vain manner. It was faithless. It was not prepared worship. It was presumed worship. Just because we do these things, we must be God's people. It was lacking the oil. But what the Lord truly wants is a repentant faith, a faith that falls before Him, acknowledging that apart from His mercy and His grace, any worship done on our part is absolutely in vain. We need the oil in our lamp of worship. We need Christ. This is what God calls for as He continues to speak through the prophet Isaiah In Isaiah 1, he says, Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. And righteousness, we know through the scriptures, comes through faith. It is the just that live by faith. The just, that is simply to say, the righteous who live by faith. And so a prepared faith is one that is resting Not in the things we do, as good as those things are and as important as they are, but in the substance, which is Christ. That is a prepared faith. A prepared faith, trust in the completed work of Christ, who, according to Ephesians 5, 2, loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Prepared faith seeks to know Christ alone, as Paul wrote in Philippians 3, as he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for this sake, or for his sake, I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes simply because I picked up a lamp without any oil, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So a prepared faith is a true faith, a wise faith, a faith that has the substance and a presumed faith is one that simply takes the lamp without the oil. Now notice this though, you need both. Faith doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens through means. If some of these women took just a flask of oil and not a lamp, they would have been just as foolish as taking the lamp without the oil. They needed the lamp too. And God in His wisdom has given us a means to exercise our faith. So we do pick up the lamp of religion. We do things like the sacraments and worshiping Him together and praying and reading His Word because it is through those that we know the substance, that we know Christ when we do them through faith in Him alone. Going back to Jesus' parable, we see the outcome of presuming, though, in these verses as well. 
the foolish virgins realizing they had missed the bridegroom's coming, they now run to the door. The procession's over. They've already gone in. The door's been shut. And they run up to the door and they pound upon it and say, Lord, Lord, open to us. We're here. We've come. And you hear the desperation in their cry. They realized they missed the party. The door was shut. But from the other side comes these terrible words. Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. I do not know you. You see, the suffering of eternal judgment as the just consequence of sin is the horror of being unknown by the bridegroom when you thought you actually were known by him. Because you presumed that I was his simply because I did these things. But he didn't know you because you never met him through true faith by grace. And to have God's face turn away from you at that moment when you cry, Lord, Lord, open to us. And to be met with the silence of heaven. That eternal state of absolute loneliness is an unfathomable kind of suffering. And yet that is the fate of the unprepared, the pursuing, the foolish. But the thing that we must see as we come to the end of this parable the thing that we must see in Jesus' words is that the bridegroom is fair. He is not severe because he is just and he is gracious. He is fair. And we see that graciousness, that mercy, and the fact that he's still delayed. He has not come yet. You see, all ten bridesmaids, they had time to prepare the foolish ones could have picked up the flask of oil just as the wise ones did. God is patient and He is long-suffering and He delays. And so this waiting that we go through is a good thing. It is God's mercy to us and to the world. I mean, as we read time and time again in the Psalms, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Peter talks about in his epistle how God was patient in the time before the, the flood of His judgment while the ark was being prepared in the days of Noah. God tells His people again in Isaiah 48, For my name's sake I defer my anger, and for the sake of my praise I will restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. 
he is delayed because he is merciful. Again, Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God delays because he is gracious. He is giving time for the full measure of his grace to be poured out on this earth so that people might be prepared by faith in Christ alone. He waits to bring his judgments. But one day the king will come in an hour we do not know. One day that time, that delay will end. And so Jesus ends this parable with these words. And we've seen them before, even last week, as he says, watch therefore. In other words, be prepared. Be ready. Take the oil of the substance that is Christ through His grace that is offered to you by faith in Him. You see, Jesus welcomes all who accept the invitation and have prepared themselves for His coming. He does open the door so that they might enjoy that eternal celebration when there will be no more night and no more sorrow, but joy forevermore. And so prepare, come and take in faith Christ, your King. Let us pray. Father in heaven, certainly we are tired and we are weary for the delay and we do pray for Him to come quickly. But we also praise You that in that delay You are still at work in this world You are still bringing in those whom you will redeem. And while there is delay, there is yet time for people to be prepared by faith in Christ alone. And so, Father, I ask that you would give to your people the courage and the wisdom to continue to prepare that they would pick up the lamp of these means of grace that you have given and Rest upon the substance that is Christ, thus having hearts prepared to meet Him when He comes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.